0: Hi, everybody. Listen, I was asked recently how I put my episodes together for Counter Melody, where I get my inspiration from. I'm just going to take a second to answer that query, dearie. (laughs) My main thing is that I only speak about subjects that I am positively passionate about, If I'm passionate about not liking someone, I generally try to keep that to myself. But if it's somebody I love, especially somebody like today's subject, Alexander Kipnis, they're often on my back burner for a little while, and if I need to put together an episode relatively quickly, I reach back into that uh, back catalog, if you will, of possible subjects and start to plan an episode from there. And this week I'm traveling, I'm in New York for the next few weeks, I didn't want to take a hiatus from the podcast, but I did want to give myself a little bit of a break. And what a break it's been, because I was able to spend so much of the week listening to Kipness singing, and what a joy that is. Anyway, I usually find myself with way too much material for any given episode. That sometimes bleeds over into a bonus episode for my Patreon listeners. It's not going to this week. I'm busy. But um, the main way that I organize the episode is around the set list. So I come up with an idea, an overarching theme, for instance, in the case of Kipness. I chose to discuss mostly his leader recordings with a nod, of course, in the direction of his operatic portrayals as well. From there, I put together a set list that clearly elucidates the narrative that I want to follow. And once I have that, then I just turn on the microphone and start extemporizing. So that's what I'm going to be doing today. I did want to welcome a new Patreon supporter, Eugene, since my last episode. Last week we had Heather, this week Eugene. People are just jumping on board Patreon, and that makes me very happy. I do want to get this episode posted a little bit early because I have big obligations tomorrow and through the weekend, so I'll just say that if you want to support the podcast, please go to patreon.com. Slash counter and you too, like Heather and like Eugene, can make either a monthly or a yearly contribution. And that really helps sustain the podcast. I promised a bonus episode on Melita Musigi, who was featured last week. It turns out that there was additional material that I could only get over here, so I have ordered that CD. It's probably waiting for me over at my not-boyfriend's house. So once I get that all together, I will put together a bonus episode on that superb singer. In the meantime, I've got another one for you, even more legendary, so without another moment's pause... Let's get going. Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. Each week you will encounter me, Daniel Gundlach, as your host, guiding you along a magical route that will bring us closer to the voices of those singers that most enchant and transform us, no matter what else is going on in the world. Thank you for joining me on that path. And now, this week's episode... Lately, I've been structuring my episodes thus. I begin with several short clips that elucidate why you should be as excited about this topic, this singer, as I am. And this week, we have the Ukrainian-American bass, Alexander Kipnis, born in 1891, in Zhitomir, where for the first few years of his life he was raised in extreme poverty in the Jewish ghetto there. He died in Westport, Connecticut, on the 14th of May, 1978, at the age of 87. Let's listen to a few short clips of Kipnis singing. The focus of today's episode will be on Kipnis as a singer of lieder. so I have three things to start with. First off, a 1930 recording of the first of Robert Schumann's Kerner Lieder, a quasi cycle, opus 35. This is the Wanderlied, one of those wonderful, outdoorsy, roaming songs that we all love so much. Kipnis is here accompanied by the pianist Arthur Berg. What I want you to listen to here is the contrast that Kipnis finds within an overall very jaunty song. How he manages to pinpoint those beautiful lyrical moments in the middle of the song. <laughs>
1: que a ti nuñer I've been his best is
0: In an even more playful mood, I bring you Brahms' arrangement of the German folk song, Mein Mädel hat einen Rosenmund. In this 1940 recording, Kipnis is accompanied by Ernst Victor Wolf.
1: Meine Mädel hat einen Rosenmund, und wer die Oh, du schwarz-braunes du, la 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 du lalalalala, la, 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 la Du lässt mir keine Ruhe. Deine Augen sind wie die Nacht zu so schwarz, wenn nur zwei Sterne ein Funken drin. Oh, du, oh, du, oh, du. Oh du schwarzbrownie, du Mägdelein lalala, du lalalalala, du lalalalala, du lässt mir keine Ruhe. Du Mädel, bist wie der Himmel gut, wenn er über uns blau sich wellen tut. Oh du, oh du, oh du. In 1934 and 35,
0: Kipnis recorded a series of songs by Hugo Wolf for a very important subscription issue by the Hugo Wolf society of many of Hugo Wolf's songs. This was the first time that Wolf's output had been presented in any kind of systematic manner on records. This is Wolf's setting of the poem Verschwiegene Liebe, Silent Love, a setting of a poem by Josef von Eichendorff. We get to hear the way that Kipnis could spin out an unbelievable legato and trim back his voice to a mere thread of tone, never once abandoning its rock-solid technical base. This is one of his most exquisite recordings, I think. it's time for a little bit of biographical information about this fantastic singer. Kipnis' father died when he was aged 12, and he helped support his family by undertaking an apprenticeship to a carpenter and also to singing soprano in local synagogues. After his voice changed, he became involved with a Yiddish theatrical group And then entered the Warsaw Conservatory at the age of 19. At the time, he took a much greater interest in conducting than he did in singing, although all during this time he continued to sing in synagogues. He eventually traveled to Berlin, where he studied voice with Ernst Grenzebach, who also taught Loretz Melchior, Max Lorenz, and the German Jugendlich Dramatisch Soprano Meta Seinemeier. When the war started, Kipnis was placed into a German detention camp because of his status as an alien, and Kipnis himself tells the story of what happened and how his singing voice gained his release from that camp. This is an interview that was broadcast on a Metropolitan Opera broadcast intermission in the year 1967. The interviewer was Francis Robinson, and this was the year after the Met had moved into its new home at Lincoln Center.
2: I think you are probably the only singer on record whose debut landed him in an internment camp. Will you tell us about that? It was in the beginning of World War I. I was very busy studying my arias, my songs, but I had an obligation to come twice a day to the police station to register. Being an enemy alien, I had to do that. And one day after registering there, the policeman said to me, I have to take you somewhere. He took me down to the uh, prison, Alexanderplatz, where they kept me for quite a while. And in my sorrow, not knowing what I'm going to do, how long I'm going to stay, I was trying to memorize, to repeat all the songs which I sang. And I've learned that the guard, the prison, knew music. And he gave a message. To a friend of mine in berlin that i am arrested and if he could help me to get out of there of this uh, situation this friend of mine was a certain baron von mutzenbecher whose brother was the intendant or the general manager in wiesbaden and through them i got out of the prison uh, from there i was signed up the Hamburg Opera, where I stayed for two years, but before going to Hamburg, I had already a contract to Wiesbaden, Wiesbaden. Wiesbaden for five years. And your debut in Hamburg was Freischütz. Freischütz, right.
0: He learned an enormous number of roles over the course of his five years at that house, and it was during this time that he made his first recordings. Of which we're going to sample two right now. First, his first recording of an art song, Franz Schubert's Gruppe aus dem Tartarus, set to a text by Friedrich Schiller. This is the final portion of the song.
1: Oblapnich polen do svaj oblapnich polen do svaj oblapnich Oh, hey.
0: Young Bass also made a number of recordings of operatic arias during this time. Because King Mark in Tristan und Isolde became one of the central roles in his career, let's listen to an excerpt of King Mark's monologue, Tatest Du's Wirklich, from the Second Act of Tristan. This recording also was made in the year 1917.
1: Bavar i <trying to cry>
0: greatest fame was probably as an operatic bass, and he sang everything under the sun, from Verdi to Mozart to Baron Ochs in Rosenkavalier to some choice Mozart roles. We're going to just briefly sample some of his recordings of that repertoire first from 1931. Here is a rare foray in Kipnis's recorded output of him singing in Italian. This is Il Lacerato Spirito from Verdi's Simon Boccanegra. I was very interested to discover today that the libretto of this work, which is notoriously complicated in plot, is based on source material by the Spanish playwright Antonio Garcia Gutierrez, who also wrote the play on which Il Trovatore was based. I would say Bocca Negra has no less complicated a plot, but one that is at least a little bit more believable, although it does hinge on a number of Thomas Hardy-like coincidences. This is Il Lacerato Spirito from the prologue to Simon Bocanegra. Erich Ortmann leads the orchestra of the Berliner Staatsoper, where from 1922 to 1935 Kipnis was a member of the ensemble. His years with the Berlin Opera. Kipnis appeared also in Bayreuth and in Salzburg. There is an enormously impressive and moving recording of the Good Friday music from Parsifal that was recorded on the stage at Bayreuth in 1927. I'm leaving it out only because I didn't have enough time to include it, but it highlights something that we've already heard, the enormous nobility of utterance that Kipnis possessed. When Kipnis finished his contract in Berlin, Germany was already becoming a very dangerous place for a Jew, and he he became a member of the Wiener Staatsoper between the years 1936 and 1938. In the summer of 1937, he appeared as Zarastro under the baton of Arturo Toscanini in a production of Die Zauberflöte. And from a live recording, on the 30th of July, 1937, we hear the second verse of Zarastro's noble aria in D's in and Hallen. And by the way, you will notice that Kipnis does go down to the low E at the end, something that he had been criticized for in previous appearances as Zarastro, but Toscanini allowed him to do it, Toscanini who was so rigid about sticking to exactly what was on the printed page because Toscanini did a little research and found out that Mozart himself had sanctioned the possibility of the Zarastro going down to the low E at the end of the aria so that's just a little side note here In In 1923, Kipnis made his first appearances in the United States with a Wagnerian company that toured in various places, including in New York. For nine seasons, from 1923 through 1932, he also appeared on the roster of the Chicago Civic Opera, and it was there that he met his wife, Mildred Eleanor Levy, whose father was a pianist and composer who had emigrated from Poland to Chicago. In 1930, their son Igor was born, who himself was a noted harpsichordist and conductor, and did much to preserve his father's legacy. Igor's son Jeremy, therefore Alexander's grandson, was born in 1965 and had an active creative career as photographer, record producer, film director, etc., until he died tragically in the summer of 2019 by drowning. But back to Alexander. He fled Europe just after the Anschluss, where he settled permanently in his wife's native country, the United States. There he became an American citizen, and finally, in the year 1940, made his belated Metropolitan Opera debut. He had hoped that that debut would be in one of his favorite roles, the title role of Musorgsky's Boris Godunov. But as it turned out, Edward Johnson, who was running the company at that time, felt that the production that was currently on the roster at the Met was a little shabby looking, and so Kipnis did not sing that role at the Met until the year 1945. At the time of his Met appearances as Boris, he also made a series of recordings of extended excerpts from the piece. We are going to hear just a brief and highly dramatic example of his performance in The Clock Scene, in which Boris, ridden with guilt over his murder of the intended Tsar. The boy Dimitri, so that Boris himself could ascend to the throne, sees the spirit of the murdered child, and has a bit of a nervous breakdown.
1: Не я, не я твой не ходи, чур, вур дича. Не я. Не я.
0: Certainly gave some amazing performances of Russian literature, including a beautiful album that he made in the year 1942 of Russian folk songs accompanied by a balalaika orchestra. We're going to hear just the final verse of his performance of the folk tune Night. Which was also one of Shalyapin's, shall we say, party pieces. Through all these personal challenges, all these roles of enormous seriousness, let us not forget the Alexander Kipnis that we heard at the very beginning of the episode, the one who could sing Mein Mädel hat einen Rosenmund with such abandonment and delight. So perhaps it's not surprising that one of his greatest operatic roles was Baron Ochs in Strauss and Hofmannsthal's Der Rosenkavalier. One thing that I should mention here, if you haven't heard it already, is that Kipnis' German has a very, very strong Russian accent. This is not, perhaps surprisingly, something that bothers me. In fact, he almost turns it to an advantage. Even with a character such as Baron Ochs, who is normally performed with a strong Viennese accent, nevertheless, it's Kipnis's lust for life that carries the day in his impersonation of this part. There is a wonderful live recording of Kipnis singing the complete role from the Teatro Colón in the year 1936. That has been issued on Marsden Records As has another complete assumption of Kipnis's, his performance of the role of Guernemantz from the same season in Buenos Aires. They're highly recommended. I'm not going to play today from either of those recordings, but I do strongly suggest that you seek them out. What we're going to hear instead is Kipnis's studio recording of the very end of Act Two of Rosenkavalier, where... Baron Ochs sings his very famous waltz, Keine Nacht wird zu lang, and dig that low E at the end, positively cavernous. Now let's just experience a little bit more of Kipnis' sense of humor, as reflected in some of his most memorable recordings. First of all, in 1940, he and the pianist Ernst-Victor Wolf recorded a hilarious send-up of Händel called Little Jack Horner. I offer it here without any further comment.
1: Jackie Homer sat in a corner eating his Christmas pie, eating his Christmas pie. Little Jack Homer sat in a corner eating his Christmas pie.
0: And now I have two recordings of Kipnis singing comic Lieder. First is another Hugo Wolf setting of a text by Josef von Eichendorff, Der Musikant, the Minstrel, the first-person narrative of the title character who wanders from town to town, barely scraping by, but cherishing and embracing his freedom. In the second half of the song, he mentions that many a beautiful maid has suggested to him that if he would clean up his act, he would make an awfully nice husband. He counters with the suggestion that this lovely maiden find herself a better candidate, because if he were to try and fit into those shoes, he would surely lose his song along with his freedom. This is another of those Hugo Wolf Society recordings. In this song, recorded in 1935, Kipnis is accompanied by the British pianist Gerald Moore at the outset of his fabled career.
1: Fasst es mir doch gar nicht an. Schöne alte Lieder weiß ich in der Kälte ohne Schuh. Draußen in die Seiten reiß ich, weiß nicht wo. Die Schöne macht wohl Augen, gemeinet, ich gefiel ihr sehr, wenn ich nur, was heute taugen, so ein Armer und nicht mehr. Mag dir Gott ein Mann bescheren, wohl mit tausend Hof
0: I'm also going to toss in another Brahms song, which I had nearly forgotten about. This is Kipnis's 1936 recording, again with Gerald Moore, of the comic folk-based text Vergebliches Ständchen, in which a young man tries to gain entry to his sweetheart's room at night, but she counters with a number of saucy retorts and sends him quite firmly but affectionately on his way. His characterization of both of the participants in this dialogue is absolutely enchanting and beautifully delineated.
1: Gute Nacht, mein Schatz, gute Nacht, mein Kind. Gute Nacht, mein Kind. Ich komm aus Lieb zu dir. Ach, mach mir auf die Tür, mach mir auf die Tür. Mach mir auf, mach mir auf, mach mir auf die Tür. Meine Tür ist verschlossen, ich lach's dich nicht ein. Ich lache dich nicht ein. Dir rät mir klug, wärst du herein mit Fug, wärst mit mir vorbei, wärst mit mir, wärst mit mir, wärst mit mir vorbei. So kalt ist die Nacht, so eisig der Wind, so eisig der Wind, dass mir das Herz erfriert, mein Lieber löschen wird, öffne mir mein Kind. Öffne mir, öffne mir, öffne mir, mein Kind. Löschet die, die, lass sie löschen nur. Lass sie löschen nur. Löschet sie immer zu, geh heim, zu Bett, zu ruh. Gute Nacht, mein Knob. Gute Nacht, gute Nacht, gute Nacht, mein Knopf.
0: Kipnis did not overstay his welcome on either the operatic stage or the concert platform. He retired from the Met, and therefore from operatic performance, in 1946, the year after he had appeared as Boris, and made his final concert appearances in 1951, as he was turning 60. Following his retirement He became an esteemed professor at the Juilliard School, as well as privately, and among his pupils are a great number of amazing low-voiced male singers, including particularly the Chinese American bass Yi Kui-si, whom I featured on an episode about two years ago, I would say whose voice and artistry very much resemble that of his renowned teacher, and who himself left a wonderful, if somewhat limited, recorded legacy. When Kipnis turned 80, his son Igor oversaw the production of a number of releases honoring his father, including one that appeared on Columbia Records. I mention that specifically because it was on this recording that I first heard the voice of Alexander Kipnis. This featured the majority of his recordings for Columbia, including, I would say, almost all of his leader recordings made between the years 1927 and 1930. Now, anyone who listens to my podcast knows how I worship at the throne of Franz Schubert. And it was through recordings that I checked out from the Janesville Public Library when I was a little kid that I first became acquainted with Schubert's Lieder. And two of my very favorite examples were the two-record set with Janet Baker, accompanied by none other than Gerald Moore and also the Schubert songs featured on that Kipnis 80th birthday release. I'm saving a few of Kipnis' Schubert performances for when I do another Backburner episode, I'm planning on a bass winterreise, basses and bass baritones performing the songs of that bleak yet transcendent cycle. But I'm going to play two Schubert's for you now, we heard Gruppe aus dem Tartarus from the year 1917. These recordings are from right around the turn of the year between 1927 and 1928. First, a song from the posthumous collection Schwanengesang. This is the setting of Ludwig Rellstab Aufenthalt, in which the singer describes the craggy rocks in which he makes his home, and how he can't live among other human beings. This is one of those monumentally existential Schubert songs. And it is the very first recording of this song that I ever heard, and I don't think it's possible that it could be bettered. Kipnis summons the dignity, the despair, the humanity of this character. And I will mention again his thick, Russian accent which, if anything, emphasizes the otherness of the narrator and makes us even more tuned in to his plight. The pianist here is Frank Bibb.
1: face my own and the the and the my own It's
0: song from the Schwannengesang, this one of the settings of Heinrich Heine. This is Amia at the sea, and it's completely the opposite. Text and affect. It's a song of love, but of thwarted love. The poet describes sitting with the beloved at the banks of the sea, observing her eyes fill with tears, collecting those tears in his hands and drinking them. In the final verse, He observes that since that moment, his heart has been plagued by a longing that consumes him, and he says that miserable woman has poisoned him with her tears. I can't hear this recording without just (laughs) breaking into tears. Again, this recording is the first time that I ever heard this song, and it was something that I could not stop playing and it confirmed to me that schubert was my composer as he was kipnis's as well Now, another setting of Heinrich Heine brings us once again to the songs of Robert Schumann. This is certainly Schumann's most famous song, Die beiden Grenadiere," in which two French soldiers are returning from the war, lamenting the fact that their emperor has been overthrown, the one saying that his wounds have overpowered him and he's going to die right there on the road. His friend responds, I would gladly die with you, but I have a wife and child back home who need me. The dying soldier responds, What do I care for a wife and children? My emperor has been lost. And then, as the theme of the Marseillaise is evoked, he describes how he will rise from the grave to protect his emperor, even in death. Normally, that final verse is done with a great, big, trumpeting refrain, but Kipnis does something so much more effective, in my opinion. He begins very softly, understatedly, as the dying soldier summons his last breath, as his voice rises, and then, in the piano postlude, we hear the music that accompanies his death. The pianist here is the distinguished accompanist and composer Celius Dougherty, who did much to forward the cause of artsong in the United States, and composed a song called Love in the Dictionary, a novelty number that is still heard on recitals today.
1: Die waren in a boost hung, sie as they came Quartier, sie saw die Köpfe hang. They heard the traurig merged, the Frankreich verloren gegangen, besiegt und geschlagen das tapfere Heer und der Kaiser, der Kaiser gefangen.
0: Unlike with his operatic roles, there are not many live recordings of Kipnis singing art song. But there is a 1943 radio broadcast, a fascinating one, of the complete *Dichterliebe*, again set by Schumann to poems of Heinrich Heine. Once again, Kipnis exhibits such individuality in the way that he approaches these songs. Even a tiny, tender little song like the eighth song right in the middle of the cycle, und wüstens die Blumen, in which Kipnis evokes ineffable sweetness in his description of the flowers, but saves that final bitter snap of the serpent's tail for the very end of the song. Kipnis is here accompanied by the pianist Wolfgang Rosé, who was the son-in-law of none other than Gustav
1: Mahler. <laughs> Und wüssten sie nach die Gallen, Wie ich so traurig und krank Sie ließen freudig erschallen, Erblickenden Gesang Und wüssten sie meine Wehe Die goldenen Sternelein Sie kämen aus ihrer Höhe Sprechen Trost mir ein. Sie alle können's nicht wissen. Nur eine kennt meinen Schmerz. Sie hat ja selbst zerrissen, zerrissen mir das Herz.
0: I have not yet spoken about Ukraine, the country of Kipnis' birth, on this episode. But about a year ago, I did an episode that featured Ukrainian singers, and of course it began with the most famous of them all, Alexander Kipnis. More than a year later, that war in Ukraine is still going on, and while thinking, caring persons have many different opinions about the way this conflict should best be resolved. No one, no one, no one in their right mind is in favor of it continuing with such enormous bloodshed and suffering. It needs to fucking stop. I personally would like to see it happen with negotiation. There are people who think that that's complete nonsense and it can only be overcome through fighting and weaponry. I don't know enough about it, but there is a beautiful song that Kipnis recorded about not two countries, but of two parties that are in enmity, but suddenly, through the intervention of one of God's angels, find overnight that peace has come between them from the italianisches Liederbuch wir haben beide lange zeit geschwiegen in this 1934 recording kipnis is once again accompanied by the pianist ernst victor wolf another musician who fled nazi germany and from 1947 until his death taught at michigan state
1: Wir haben beide lange Zeit geschwiegen. Auf einmal kam uns nun die Sprache.
0: Heard a number of settings already of the Songs of Johannes Brahms. I think that Kipnis was an ideal interpreter of the songs of Brahms. He could bring dignity and humanity to the sometimes less than distinguished texts that Brahms had no problem setting. And Brahms's beautiful, unending, spinning melodies were so beautifully realized by Kipnis, who had not only the ability to spin out an endless legato, as we just heard in that last Hugo Wolf song, but also always, always, always responding to the text in a rhetorical manner that these days would be considered old-fashioned, but which is very much the style of this poetry. There are so many color changes from one phrase to the next in the way that Kipnis sings leader. And to me, when one encounters a voice of such depth, such range, and capable of such a wide range of vocal coloring, as is Kipnis, and then when he can scale back that voice to a mere whisper, always retaining the basic essential quality of the sound, this is, I think, perhaps his greatest gift. I'm going to play you three contrasting Brahms songs as the program begins to wind down. First, from 1928, here is a recording that, amazingly, was only released for the first time on that 1971 80th birthday tribute. This is Brahms's setting of a poem, not very distinguished one, by the way, by Georg Friedrich Daumer, Wie bist du, meine Königin? It is a love song of such tenderness, but such expansion. Kipnis captures it all beautifully accompanied once again by Ernst Victor Wolf. I'm One of Brahms's most enduring songs, Immer leiser wird mein Schlummer, this is set to a poem by one Hermann Ling, and it describes a woman, at least it's normally done by women, less frequently by men, a person who is dying, alone, and keeps on imagining that the estranged loved one will show up for a final farewell but the narrator says if you still want to see me you have to come quickly in this 1929 recording we hear Kipnis accompanied by pianist Arthur Berg in me. about three or four other Brahms songs that I wanted to play for you as well, may I encourage you with all urgency and enthusiasm to continue your own exploration of Kipnis' performances, of all leader, of all art song, of all of his operatic repertoire as well. This is a monumental song. Again, not the most distinguished poem but one which nevertheless could not want for a more effective setting auf den kirchhofe in the cemetery a setting of a poem by detlef von Lilienkorn. the poet describes a trip to a cemetery in extremely bad weather observing all of the forgotten graves but yet finally arriving at the realization that the persons asleep under these gravestones have passed through their hardship and are now released. This recording is also from 1929 and also accompanied by Arthur Berg. Alexander Kipnis died at the age of 87 on the 14th of May, 1978, in Westport, Connecticut. As I mentioned, his son Igor, who died in 2002, did much to perpetuate the legacy of his father. And honestly, we owe him an enormous debt of gratitude as well as respect for his career as a harpsichordist and conductor. There are two final songs I'm going to play for you. One is a recording that was unreleased for approximately forty years of a rare Hugo Wolf setting of Heinrich Heine, Wo wird einst des Wandermüden? Where, for one who is weary of travel, will my final resting place be? Beneath palms in the south? Beneath the lindens by the Rhine? Will I somewhere in a desert be buried by a foreign hand? Or will I rest by the coast of a sea in the sand? Still, I will be surrounded by God's heaven there as well as here, and for funerary lamps, stars will float above me at night. Whoa. Thank you for joining me today. It has been my enormous privilege to bring Alexander Kipnis to you in all his humanity, in all his perception, in all his supreme musicianship. The final offering today will be that thrice familiar but ever beloved setting by Robert Schumann from his Eichendorff Liederkreis, "Mondnacht." In this 1930 recording, we hear Kipnis accompanied by Arthur Berg. This again was the first recording I ever heard of this song, and the tenderness, the intimacy, the expansiveness, the transcendence of this performance has remained with me to this day. It was as though heaven had softly kissed the earth so that she in a gleam of blossom had only to dream of him the breeze passed through the fields the corn swayed to and fro the forests murmured softly the night was so clear with stars and my soul spread her wings out wide flew across the silent land as though flying home Dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach.